Amen. You may be seated. Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter four. Y'all see, uh, sound beautiful this morning, by the way. I love when we have those chances, those moments like that. That's, um, that's cool. That's really cool. Uh, here's what uh, we have been talking for six weeks prior about uh, to what it means as a church to love what Jesus loves and, and do what Jesus does. Today is, is an unplanned week seven of oh, the signs are up. I forgot. I forgot that part. And so did you, Celia. Boom. Both of us did. No, you didn't. <laughs> hey, always. And this is cool. If you have any four-year-olds third grade and you would like them to go out today to hang out and learn about Jesus uh, in, a, in a very uh, age-specific way, they're welcome to do that now. So you'll hang out here for just a minute. Sorry. Caroline, props to you because you remembered. I told you I would forget. If um, so, six weeks we've talked about um, what that means, like uh, what that looks like, what that what that means for us as a church to to love what Jesus loves, to do what Jesus does, and to spend the rest of our lives learning that. So I don't know if any of you read the appendix in a book. Is anyone here who reads the appendix? Like you have a good book. Thank you, Matt. Praise God for you. Does anyone else read the appendix? No one. Well, today's going to be better than an appendix, but it kind of goes at the end. And so what I want to talk about today is the rhythm that, that flows behind everything we talk about. It's not just, it's not something we do as a church. It's not, actually, we don't do this as a church. This rhythm is not something that we can create. It's, it's not something that we have the power to create. It is something that we can support, but I, I believe it's so critical that, we, uh, that we, we look at just a few words of Jesus to understand what the rhythm of the kingdom of God is. Jesus actually lays that out for us in scripture. And so when we sing, uh, when we come together and we pray and we repent and we, we are forgiven and when we, we worship together, these are often what I like to say, maybe not mountaintop moments, maybe mountaintop moments, but many times at least it's on a hill. And then we, we leave here and then uh, we leave here and then go back to our lives as normal. And I think what we see when Jesus describes the kingdom of God, often we view the mustard seed moments or the tree throwing into the ocean kind of moments. We view the entirety of our life really defined by these huge moments, right? And so for some of you in this room, you kind of, you kind of fall into that old trap about, oh, I'm just a normal Christian, I guess, that I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do my daily devotional and, and live life. But, but it's never as stellar as someone who comes down this altar after a service and says, send me, to the, send me to reach unreached peoples in the 1040 window. Like there's some special kind of Christian. And so it leaves us in this place because we have such a huge view of the kingdom of God that it seems almost unattainable. What Jesus does in Mark chapter 4 is a parable that we often skip right over because the next parable after it is the mustard seed. But there is so much beauty in this short little parable that's not really exciting. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I know how people respond after sermons. And sometimes like, man, I really needed that. That was awesome. Man, the Lord spoke through you. Sometimes people don't say anything. I imagine this may have been one of those parables that some people looked at Jesus relative to the others and was like, oh, it's a good day. You know, because there's not, when we just look at it, there's nothing uh, that seems life transformative in it. But I want to show you the value of examining your life, the things that you're given in this world, and I want to challenge you to consider thinking of your life as a rhythm. To stop reacting to everything. Like in a world where pop-ups run our day, where we, we, we don't know what comes next, we have night shift and day shift, and we have all these schedules and we have crises. Like Many of us are trained only to react to what is given to us any given day. 
Can't say how many people I've heard talk about their life. I just don't know what's coming until the day starts. And we can't fix that. We can't do away with that. But because of that, I think we've robbed ourselves of seeing the goodness of having rhythm and being intentional about where God has placed us. And so that's all I want to show you in the light of these few verses today. So the Gospel of Mark chapter 4 goes like this. Verse 26 through 29 is all that we'll read. I mean, you... And he said... The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now, you, you're lying if you don't tell me that that parable being between the lamp under a basket and the mustard seed, you're lying to me if you're telling me you haven't just kind of glossed past that before. So we're going to pray and we're going to see there's absolute a treasure chest here in learning what it means to live and bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven in, simple, in a simple, simple way. Let's pray. Father, uh, many of us probably most of us, I don't know, the group have perhaps never never taken a handful of seed and scattered it on the ground and trusted You for our very livelihood, trusted in a Creator that sends the rain when we have no power over such things. Most of us have never grown up on farms where our daily bread was a balance of our investment and intentionality with Your goodness. Most of us have grown up in a society that is so far removed from the rhythm that Jesus paints for us that we can't imagine. So help us imagine. Help us see not only the life of a farmer, but a master farmer who is given to us. Lord, what I'm really begging here in a world that has so quickly been refilled and repopulated with calendars and expectations, even after we said it's the last thing we would do, that You would teach us to see life as a rhythm every day, every week, every month, every year. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. you got to give it to the guy. He sleeps. That's pretty important. I think if you get nothing else from this, Jesus slept. Do what Jesus does. And so we're good. Think about it, though. Think about the way that God ordered seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years even sets of years. And throughout the Old Testament, God has ordered His people in a rhythm, even the seasons themselves. He's leaning into a, a very clear agricultural kind of culture and a community, and so there are things that Jesus doesn't have to say that He would be saying very loudly when He teaches these words. A farmer was speaking about the way that agriculture has become in the U.S. and clearly the people who, who determine the cost of goods and the market rate and are really ending the local farmer altogether. A farmer said of those large conglomerate corporations that, that farming seems awful easy when your plow is a pencil and you're a thousand miles away from a cornfield. Well, the truth is Farming seems awful easy for us when our plows may be pencils and we're thousands of miles away from a society where our hands and the work and the, and the partnership with God literally uh, determined our next course in life. So there was a lot that people would hear in this simple passage that we may not get. 
Jesus says, though, and it's important for us to hear, we know elsewhere in Scripture that the kingdom of God is coming, right? We see, we see pictures of lightning and thunder and fire from on heaven. We see trees moving into the oceans and mountains rising up and seed like a mustard seed or faith like a mustard seed doing all of that. And so we imagine the kingdom of God to come in these kind of cataclysmic ways, like big stuff happens when, when the entire church or the entire congregation repents and calls out the name of the Lord, we see the kingdom of God in our midst. But Jesus says something very different here. And I don't want you to spend your whole life looking for mountaintop moments, missing the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven in your life. Because he says the kingdom of God is actually very simple. It's not even found in the most profound moments of life. It's like a dude doing the thing God has created him to do where he's called him to do it rhythmically and seasonally every single year. It's a long game. What I want to pull from this are, are, is what is called commonly George Robinson at Southeastern Seminary, Tori Beth's dad, um, and Josh Reed, and, and even I have been brought into this conversation by God's grace the last few years, have seen in this simple passage what is essentially representation of Jesus' entire life, a rhythm of life that he built his life around and he modeled for others. Call it the core missionary task, not the only ones to talk about it, but what is the core responsibility of every Christian to the kingdom of God in the midst and rhythm of your own life, right? So that it isn't dependent upon you receiving a call to go somewhere else, but rather see where you're placed, where you live, work, and play. And so there are six elements to the core missionary task or the rhythm of Jesus that we're going to pull from this. I'm going to say them for you, and then we're going to unpack them so you don't have to write them all down right now. Abiding prayer. Secondly, intentional relationships. Third, gospeling. I love that as a verb. Fourth, discipleship. Fifth, meaningful gatherings. Sixth, kingdom multiplication. We're going to go through those, and I want to show you how Jesus shows us the rhythm of the kingdom of God in a very simple farming illustration. Let's start with abiding prayer. The central theme of this scripture, if you'll see it, I'm going to move kind of quickly through all these. We're going to take longer on this one than the rest. The central theme is what the farmer gets to do every single night. Sleeps and rises night and day. Sleep is a theme here. And so while there is a responsibility and an invitation to participate, even an expectation that he participates in the midst of the day, there is also an expectation that he sleeps. Why? Because the theme of the passage flowing from the fact that the man sleeps and rests every day is that this is God's work. Somehow, even when the farmer sleeps, the seed sprouts and grows. And so ultimately, in the midst of this, we see it's the Lord's harvest. It's the Lord's work. The things that God alone can do because a miracle simply won't happen no matter what we do without God in the center of this working himself. It's not your work, our work. It's God's work. Uh, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 2. You remember the prayer given to the people. Pray for, for the laborers in the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. The promise of Scripture is that this all of our lives, the kingdom of God, the harvest itself, it's God's work. And in fact, there's no true change, no true good, no true church, no true kingdom without God. And this passage teaches us that the way to acknowledge such a thing is to sleep. Can y'all be obedient to that this afternoon? Some of you are obedient to that in this service, and I just want to acknowledge your obedience to sleeping. 
But what is sleep? What is sleep in this passage? To sleep and rest knowing that God is sovereign, this is a picture of trust. Because trusting God is more than just closing your eyes and going to sleep. It is to know that the God who performs the miracle is the God who does the real work of growing the seed into the plant. He's the real one who changes people, changes you. Jesus' great promise and that overwhelming great commission is that, behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Sleep is an image of trust. To do all that you can in a given day and to sleep trusting in the Lord to do the work. And so let's just simplify this a little bit to help you understand it. Imagine if I told you that you had to go this afternoon and sow seed in 100 acres of corn. Well, this would be a wrong time of year to do that, but let's just imagine it's the right time and all those other things are there. Now, some of you are going to take off because maybe you grew up on a farm where you're like, man, corn's my thing, man, I love it. But most of you are going to look at me confused. You won't know where to begin. But what if I then told you that you're going to go plant that same 100 acres of corn and introduced you to a master farmer, a man who has harvested hundreds of thousands of acres of corn in his life. He would take you to the right field, help you identify the right soil for the right corn, tell you how to condition and purpose and prepare the soil. He'd show you how to lay the seed. You just don't go out in the cornfield and scatter it like grass seed. He'd show you even as the corn grows how to care for it, nurture it, and how to sickle it into a crop and how to gather it together for the harvest. This is the idea simply of trusting and knowing what happens when a master farmer is given to us in our own life and our own pursuit of the harvest because Jesus Christ is ultimately the master farmer of this story. And so the idea of abiding prayer isn't just abiding in this loose sense. It is absolutely a prayer life that leads us to the feet of the master farmer to recognize that he walks beside of us in, beside of us in this endeavor. It's abiding in this narrative is to know that the work is not his and that he can trust in the one whose work it is, but also to walk alongside the one to whom all glory is due. Abiding prayer then becomes this rhythm of our lives that is more than just nighttime prayers or morning devotionals or pre-meal prayers. Abiding prayer is like a lifeline that keeps your work, our work, aligned with God's work. It's that thing that reminds us of our responsibility and our limitations. But ultimately, when I speak of abiding prayer, abiding prayer is that which we know the heart of Jesus, know Jesus is present, and causes us to pray for such things as the kingdom of God, to pray for the harvest, to pray for the fields that God is calling calling you to enter into and sow. And to know that you're not doing it alone. You have no idea how to grow corn. The master farmer accompanies us in this task. It's clear that Jesus wants us to dig in with our hands where we get dirt under our fingernails to understand the kingdom of God. It's not a clean hand enterprise. And he's simply saying that to trust the one who goes before us, to trust the one who will teach us, behold, I am with you always. I don't know what your prayer life looks like. I don't know. I'm not talking about times or length or duration or any of that stuff. I'm simply speaking about the target of your prayer life because Jesus sets before us a compelling vision of the kingdom of God to come and calls us to pray for such things in the midst of our life. It also shows us and demonstrates to us our trust. Secondly, that was the longest one in case you're timing them. I promise. But this is a very important one. 
The implicit part of this story, kind of the story starts late, verse 26, and then he said the kingdom of God is if a man should, should scatter seed on the ground. There's a lot that's happened beforehand that the reader would clearly understand. It's not like you just walk out of the house one morning with your seed ready to go, and then you plant it and it grows. No, there's a, there's a critical step here that, that we call intentional relationships of selecting the field and preparing the soil. If you just go out on hard, hard packed dirt out here today and you throw seed down and it's corn, let's say, you're not going to have a harvest from, from that place. The soil's just not prepared. And so the farmer would meticulously, this wasn't like now where they could just throw, they, they could just throw fertilizers on the same plot of land year in, year out. In fact, the Old Testament required that every seventh year they let the land just rest. And so the land, all the nutrients in the soil would draw up into the harvest every single year. So the farmers would annually, and then before the seeds were planted, have to go out and figure out like which field am I going to sow this year for this product, for this crop. Now, here's the translation into the kingdom of God is that very much the same way we're, we're called to develop, to identify, develop, and foster very intentional relationships with those around us, people who have been put into our midst, not by accident. The classroom you find yourself in every single week, the office you find yourself, the friendships and the networks where you find yourself is not an accident you're there. So many of us waste our lives praying or planning for that day when God will use us somewhere out there rather than seeing the field God has put before us. And so there's this clear call for our participation in this first step. Your roommates, your classmates, your colleagues, your neighbors, how much time have you, have you really considered that God has, how much time have you prepared getting ready for something at church missing where God's called you in the first place? And this isn't a program, y'all. It's not like, hey, today's the day we name the place we work. And then we, no, that's, just, that's cheap. Just talking about where has God put you and do you view that place intentionally or is it just a part of the tyranny of the urgent that demands your time, your energy, and your life? Do you hear what I'm saying? There are two resources here that I just want to pause to just point your eyes towards. The first is blesseveryhome.com. It's an awesome website. If you are paranoid about the government knowing too much about you, they know everything. Blesseveryhome.com is a private public partnership. Bottom line is they, they email you weekly or even daily as you choose with the names of your neighbors and their addresses. Now, here's what's cool about that. Now, it's hard if you're in a dorm, but it's, it's, it's a lot simpler for those who are in other types of housing. It's an opportunity to know your neighbors by name. It's an opportunity to pray for your neighbors by name. It's an opportunity to actually physically bless your neighbors with a meal or something like that by name. It's going to help you orient your life in a more intentional way. Now, these tools are there. That's all they are. They're a tool. But we've got to start somewhere. The second thing is The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. It's a great book. I think the title tells you everything. It's a good book. The gospel comes with a house key, how hospitality shows the gospel and presents the gospel. Here's the bottom line. How many of you have intentionally looked at the places God has put you, seen that it's not an accident, no matter how stressful those places may be, and recognize that may be the field you're called to sow the seed of the good news of the gospel. So don't waste your time. So your life is a rhythm, right? You're starting to see a rhythm. I'm a, 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 it's seeking Jesus, seeking his presence in prayer, being more intentional about the places I am and the spaces I go. Being more intentional about the places I am and the spaces I go. And then finally, we get to the, 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 the part that's clear in the text. Man scatters seed on the ground. Gospeling. 
He does that. It's, a, it's the sowing of the good news. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 tell us that literally people won't respond to the gospel unless they hear the gospel in words. So you can, you can love somebody, you can hug somebody for 30 years and they've never heard the gospel. You've done them no eternal good. But let me just say this. After you are called or you recognize where God's put you in your life, there is a place and there is a calling incumbent upon you to take them the good news. But let me just remind you here that the good news of salvation, the good news that Christ came, that he died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day, and all who repent and call upon his name shall be saved is the gospel, right? That is the gospel. But please don't let that be the only good news you bring to the people around you in life. Please don't be, like I was talking in the first service, like the person, the, the Debbie downer who's always talking about inflation and the price of gold and the markets and you look up, but I'm just glad I got Jesus in like this horribly unconvincing way. Be a person of good news. Be a bringer of good news. Some gifted very clearly with that. Some of us, we are struggling through the headlines to find good news. But the last thing, and so, so, so if you are intentionally around this place, the gospeling idea here is not necessarily you quickly pulling out steps to peace with God and attract and saying, get right, although it could be. Let me just say this. There's not a particular method that is the be-all, end-all. This is not about methods. This is not about three circles or Romans road, because at the end of the day, some plants grow from broad scattering and some plants require targeted sowing. It's not the method. We're not talking about the method. We're talking about the idea of seeing a barren field become a harvest field because gospeling, the good news, is not a tool, although there are tools. The gospel moves forward. It moves forward in words and works and wonders in the life of Jesus. And just like the farmer, the context and conditions of your field where you are, it matters greatly. But my question here is, is the good news a part of your life rhythm? Or has your mind been infiltrated so deeply by the bad news that you have a hard time seeing this? I think that some of us may never get to the good news of the gospel because we don't know how to get to the good news of life. Like the abundant life, Jesus says, even in the midst of hard times. Boy, that's been a real one this past year and a half, hasn't it? But Jesus says it's not not even a... It's not a thing we do. You scatter the seed because you know that the harvest comes from such things. And so it's not like I'm just, I'm just taking the gospel and there it goes. So the rhythm of abiding prayer and being intentional about where God has put you and being a person of good news, please, for, 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 for the sake of all things that are holy and right, let's be good news bearers. Doesn't mean that we're, we don't recognize the reality of the world, but man, discipleship. All right. So the, the seed sprouts and then the farmer just walks off and says, I'll see you when you're ready for harvest, right? Is that the way it works? Absolutely not. There's a lot that happens. When you share the good news, when you are a good news bearer in the places God has called you to be, you know, good news, by the way, is, is like a really friendly face who like has a blueberry muffin for you unexpectedly, by the way. Like when we talk about loving people, well, yeah, even blueberry muffins. I caught you, didn't it? I got you. It got me too. I love blueberry muffins. But just like, like that's where we see hospitality come forth. 
Like, like don't separate hospitality from the gospel itself. It's just that the muffin ain't going to save anybody. But it's pretty good news when you're hungry. And you got to know the trajectory of this stuff, y'all. Like, just, I, I, here's what I'm saying. Is this sad that we got to tell the church both in person and we got it? like, be nice. Be nice people. I, I promise you, no matter what Fauci says, our world is not over. All right? And it's really hard to find it right now. So, so I, I'm, tell, I'm preaching to myself. Because ultimately, not our work. See, that's the cool thing. If you've, ever, if you've ever planted anything from a potted plant all the way down, you put the seed in there, you water it a little bit, and guess what? You have no control over next. What the seed actually does. So you don't have control over that good news. Somebody may not like you, and you can't sit there and say, oh my goodness, I was so nice to them for three months. They just spit me in the face. Just, just, that's not your responsibility. You're not in your control. Like We always expect like reciprocity with kindness. I was talking to a waitress at Cracker Barrel yesterday. How are you today? Not good. I said, oh my goodness, this isn't good. What happened? She said, my dad died. I said, whoa, this just got real. But she was talking about the way that different tables are responding to her. And I was like, You're, and we talked about a lot of things, including the gospel. But she's expecting too much of people at the end of the day. Lost people at that. But at some point, if you are a bringer of good news in the rhythm of your life, you're not doing it as a programmer because the church is having an evangelism thing. No, you just like the, you're, you bring good news in the places God has called you and you trust Jesus because you abide with him. Someone is going to come to know the Lord in your midst. Or they're going to re, they're going to reconnect with God in a way that they've been running from. And they're going to do it in your midst. And what I don't want you to do is say, that's awesome. Let me take you to the preacher. Or to my to, to, to Betsy or Austin or anybody. Like, let me, I don't want you to do that. I want you to recognize when that, when that seed sprouts, praise God it did because all those didn't. I've spent 10 years laying seed here, and here's the first sprout. You better take care of it. That requires pruning. That requires care. That requires discipling. And let me just pause here in the rhythm of our life. If you think discipling is like an hour and a half set aside through the book of James, you're right. But it is not exclusively that. Many of you disciple other believers and you don't even know you're discipling them. When you're inculcating, passing on, and equipping truth to other people, truth and love in the scriptures, you are discipling them. Speaking truth to brothers and sisters is discipleship. And so we've got to broaden that, but also understand it is intentional as well. The point here is that you understand your responsibility, our calling to discipleship shared with the Lord's work. Why? What are we working towards in this whole story? The harvest discipling is hard. I, I need not say that. I'll say it again and again and again and again and again and again. Here's, here's what's pretty cool that happens. So, so the blade and then the ear and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And so what is really awesome here is that you have new believers who have gathered out of the harvest or they have, they have grown, they've responded to the gospel out of the harvest. They're being discipled and nurtured up. And then what they would do before taking them and, and ultimately calling it a true harvest is they would put the sickle to them and they would bunch them up together in gatherings and take them to market. And I love that imagery because what we see here is the establishment of the church to come and bring from the harvest believers together, meaningful gatherings. And so I think for us as existing believers, 
what we, what we see here is, is that harvest is expressed in this way. Like the beauty of the gathering is to see the scope of the harvest, to see what God is doing and has done. Now, this last rhythm is not something you necessarily do as much as it's something you believe in. Every farmer after the harvest would celebrate and they'd have good a meal and they knew that guess what was coming next? Another season. It was time to go sow more seed. It was time to restart this season of life. And so he would save a part of the seed to start the next crop. It's not like he went to tractor supply and got something that was always out of stock. He had seed and he had to save it. And so from the very beginning in these agricultural communities, you understood that this was not a practice of addition. It was a practice of multiplication. And isn't it fascinating how God even wired the crops themselves, not to produce one seed, but many. And imagine what happens as those seeds out of one plant multiply, 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 multiply. That's the crazy vision Jesus has when he tells a simple story. Now, I would love it if every single... I'd love it if every single person in this room said, man, we're all going to pack up Tent City. We're going to the 1040 window. We're going to a valley in the mountains that no one has ever heard of, speaks a language none of us know. And we're all going to travel there together until we see 500 unreached, unengaged people groups be engaged with the gospel. That'd be awesome. Like, we'd go. We'd go. We'd be over the campfire. Stacy would be loving it. Camping, it's awesome. Has her written all over it. Like outdoors, Right. But I think the fallacy is, is when that is the way. When I, when I recognize that like when we look at this rhythm of Jesus's life, this is what Jesus would do if he went to school where you went to school or worked where you worked. This is what he would do no matter what, where you are in life. He would bring to it a rhythm that sounds far better than the reaction that the world gives us. He'd bring a rhythm of prayer, a rhythm of intentional relationships, seeking out people to love them and to, to point them to the kingdom. He'd, he'd certainly take the good news. And he'd care for them when they respond. He'd, he'd gather them together to, to bring them and ultimately, all the while multiplying the kingdom. Because the point is, like no matter who goes where or when, we're called to do this. This is a rhythm for where God has put us. Wherever you go. And I can't say it enough that every single one of us are slaves to the reactionary culture of our day. You, none of us can plan our days because it depends what dings or beeps at any given moment. And I know that we can't fix all of that. But I do know if we don't enter that day with, an inten- with intentionality and a, and, a, and a vision for the kingdom and a rhythm for the kingdom, it's going to eat us for breakfast every single day. And every single night's going to end the same way. Gosh, this day, it just, it's just disappeared. I call Stacy that life feels like 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 just a conveyor belt. Like Monday, 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 Monday. You get it? And the tyranny of the urgent and and the pursuit of honestly, like the pursuit of money over all things. Like if you, there's just so much vying for our attention, and I don't think many of us have the opportunity to be intentional friends, intentional dads, intentional husbands. You know, all the way across the board. What Jesus is calling us to is, yeah, absolutely, to go across the world for the sake of the gospel, to reach unreached people groups. Yes, and amen. What he's calling us to is to reimagine and reclaim a kingdom rhythm, a rhythm of living that is intentional, focused, and purposeful, and driven by a vision much larger than any of us could imagine.
That's what he's calling us to. And so, yeah, it may be hard because the plow, your plow may be a pencil and a thousand of miles away from this. But at the end of the day, it isn't it beautiful to show the seasons and the soils and the selection of the land and the sowing of the seed or the scattering, if it is a type of seed, just to know the simplicity with which we think of kind of classic America farm life, Jesus is calling us to in the Gospels. And so all I think that I want us to do is to breathe for a moment because the the end is coming, right? Um, evil will be judged and the rider on the white horse will appear in the sky. All these things are going to happen. And w- there's an urgency, but there is also a rhythm. And I want you to breathe easy and know that God has called you where he's called you for a real reason. You're not in this room or anywhere you are by accident. And I want to give for you a vision of where this harvest is headed. And then I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. The very end of the Bible, well, not the very end. There's a few verses left. The last book of the Bible, last chapter. I want you to see the results, the fruit of the harvest. It says, this is John. And John saw some crazy stuff. And it's all so good. The angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal. Now, you got to open your hearts and eyes and imaginations. You've seen like, how many of y'all have over the course of the last year, year and a half, dreamed of a vacation somewhere that involves crystal water like me? I'm on your line. Yeah, see? There's just, the, the, it's pristine and perfect. Like right now, it's, it's, it's like those little huts that are in the middle of the, the water. You know what I'm talking about? They're like probably $5,000 a night. And it's there for, for the Baptist, the person walks up with your Shirley Temple for the non-Baptist, whatever, and there's no worries. Come on, y'all. Like, really? Am I the only one? That river of the water of life is described as bright as crystal. And you've ever seen the majesty of a waterfall here in the mountains or anywhere else, man, there is something powerful when water rushes off a mountain. And all the calmness of that crystal water, John would say, is coming from the power, from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And so this crystal water flows. And at the top, not a waterfall but God himself and the lamb. And then we're in a city because what God's going to do is not, he's not going to just like give us wings and float for the rest of life. He's going to reclaim this earth. It's a new heaven, new earth. Revelation 21 and 22 says, so it's going to be somewhat familiar, but just perfect. I don't know what that means, but there's going to be cities and there's going to be streets And there's going to be apple fritters with not a calorie. Through the middle of the street of the city, just imagine a a city street also on either side of the river. There's a tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. There's a rhythm. There's a rhythm. And can you imagine just talking like, hey, what's next month's fruit? Like, it's all perfect fruit. So I don't know what the comparison is. Like, this, this month was perfect. What's next month? Perfect. <laughs> but it's different. It's like a different perfect. 
It's like, I like the orange fruit. You know, it's like jelly beans, but they're all perfect. You don't have like the nasty popcorn flavors. So we gather and we're like all looking forward to the tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit, right? The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Gosh, that imagery, like forever we've used leaves, like aloe vera, right, to, 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 to heal. Like the leaves of the tree heal the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Awesome tattoo. And night will be no more. Walking around with Jesus tattoos, y'all. Like eating fruit. (laughs) On that vacation, but it's so much better. And night will be no more. There's no, we're not even sleeping anymore. And we're not like jacked up from it. Because there's no need for night. Because God's glory, it says, fills the sky. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and He will reign forever and ever. The harvest will come, the tree will yield fruit, night will be no more, and the labors of these days will cease. This is the harvest that Jesus knows fully and is able to somehow say, get your nails in the dirt and bring this to bear now. Living waters. Father, such a glorious and unimaginable and simply God-sized vision you have for us. It is a harvest that will by that time have lasted thousands upon thousands of years. When that day comes, when we sit and look in the clear river waters flowing from you and the Lamb, enjoy fruit from a tree that changes every month. (laughs) I mean, come on. Here we are down here trying to make like infinite flavored jelly beans and you're just going to provide that. That's awesome. And we're not going to sleep because we won't tire. And quite frankly, because there's no darkness to be scared of anymore. And yet somehow a vision that is so so much smaller than that one just captivates us to the degree that we get caught up in the busyness. So Lord, now while there is a calling to labor for such a harvest, would you be gracious and allow us to see that where you have put us is not by accident. Where we live, work, and play, that we may walk and know that the master farmer walks alongside us, the one who sits at the head of that perfect river. Lead us to abide, to be intentional about the fields we choose to enter. And so, and to be good news bearers who bring the fruit of the harvest alongside us together to worship and to multiply your kingdom until the day when we all fall down before you, eating fruit next to a perfect river. This is eternity. This is real. This is true. So let us labor, Father, 
Let us do that well in the rhythm of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.